0: If you enjoyed the channel and our video content and would like to support us, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can sign up to our Patreon site which is a monthly subscription to one of our four tiers, each giving you something different from early access interviews up to exclusive unseen footage. There's also the option of a one-off donation via PayPal, which allows you the option to donate an amount of your choice. Both options really help to keep this channel going and to continue putting out regular content for you good folk. So please take a look at aircurrentviewtv forward slash donate and I thank you in advance. Thank you and enjoy. So Proton, when did you first become interested in aviation? Uh, so my
1: dad was a marine aviator, flew A4s in Vietnam and then he subsequently became an airline pilot. And so I was sort of raised uh, with aviation in my blood. Uh, I went through you know, my, my schooling, elementary and high school. I, and into college, I, I just wanted to be a professional athlete like uh, most uh, American kids. Uh, played baseball, football, basketball in high school, a little baseball in college. Uh, but I always had aviation sort of in my blood and in my background. Uh, and so I was about 20, ironically, my son's exact age right now, about the exact same time of his life where I sort of woke up one day and had epiphany and said, you know what? well, the the chasing the the professional athlete dream would be cool. Uh, This is something that I'm much more interested in. um, And I just decided at that point that that's what I wanted to do.
0: Brilliant stuff. So can you tell us the process of you going through (laughs) the U.S. Navy and to becoming a Hornet pilot?
1: Sure, so uh, I was, uh, so call sign Proton comes from uh, when I joined the Navy, I was uh, a nuclear reactor operator. So I I joined, I became listed. Um and I went in through that pipeline. It was the the arduous and more difficult road, but it was the path that was available to me at the time. Uh and it essentially the goal was to get to where I ended up fortunately getting to. Uh and so I went through boot camp and uh A school and the nuclear power school and nuclear power prototype all the time, sort of applying, trying to get into aviation, uh running into many, many obstacles. Um Mm -hmm. and then finally it just takes one person to say yes. Uh, and so when I got the yes and the door cracked, I went sprinting through it, uh, and then went down to Pensacola, uh, Florida, where they do uh, aviation pre At the at the time, I was aviation officer candidate school, spent uh, about three months there, and then went to from there to uh, Corpus Christi, and primary flight training. And that was, uh, oh, that was ground nice. school, and then and then T <laughs> thirty-fours. Sorry, Char- Charlie and Rhino say to say hello to your viewership. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're over there. I'm sure they'll end up on camera at some point. But uh, the uh, went through primary in uh, in T-34s in Corpus Christi. Uh, was fortunate enough to to select jets out of that, and then uh, spent the rest of my time in training command, uh, flying uh, T-2s and A-4s, which was cool because of my father's connection in uh, Kingsville, Texas. Uh, got my wings in uh, August of 1993. Stop. <laughs> August of 1993. Uh, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to, to have done well enough that I was able to select what I wanted. I wanted to be an F-18 pilot from the beginning. Uh, I think my dad, being a single-seat guy, probably had some influence on that. Uh, at that time, uh, F-14, F-18 were kind of neck and neck what, what individuals want to fly. Uh, remember, this is 1993 timeframe, so Top Gun 1 came had come out in 86, and so that still had a massive influence on on guys going through flight school and what they wanted to fly. Uh, but I was pretty much in the beginning, I wanted to be a single-seat guy. So selected F-18s and away I went from there. Plain
0: stuff. So what were your first thoughts on the Hornet? I
1: I, um, I remember, you know, first off, just being really excited that uh, I was going to get to fly on this this airplane. So I, I went um, through the uh, what's known now as a fleet replacement squadron in, in el toro california which was a marine base um and i got out there a few months prior to starting there's kind of a story there that's immaterial to, to this but uh, i got out there and i got got in the backseat i got a ride uh, and i just remember being completely overwhelmed that oh my gosh i'm going to be able to fly this yeah. and this is my career um flying you know, T-34s, T-2s, and A-4s was fantastic, um, but they were analog legacy airplanes, and then I step into a state-of-the-art glass digital platform that was, you know, afterburning and and uh, very maneuverable and could do all sorts of things, uh, and I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing I'd, I I could possibly do, and truth was, it was the coolest thing I could possibly do, and I was just blessed to stay in that for,
0: oh, 25 years beyond that. So. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. yeah was- so, what was the aircraft like to fly? And was your first squadron an air squadron or was it a sea squadron?
1: Uh, it was a sea squadron. Um, it was it was a sports car, um, and, and it was interesting because I spent the last part of my career flying the Super Hornet. Uh, I was in command of a squadron, an E squadron, and ironically, uh, I had the first uh, Royal Navy exchange pilot in my squadron, I could tell that story later. Um, but I, the transition from flying legacy and i flew all four variants a through d uh, and then uh, e's and f's Um, it was the the legacy was a sports car i grabbed the stick it gives me what i want uh immediately whereas the super hornet it's a bigger plane it's much more of an suv type of type of thing it grabs it in the plane it's like well i'm a little smarter than you are which was true
0: um
1: (laughs) and i'm gonna think about what you're actually asking for and then i'm gonna provide some provide the input so you don't mess it up here uh but it was it was quick it was maneuverable uh and even to this day i i chose a blessed uh blessed career my last uh job in the navy i was the wing commander in oceana on the east coast and i had the entire flight line to fly from from a's to f's and i chose my last flight in a c go out like i came in uh, nice. because it was just it was maneuverable it was sexy it was fun behind the boat i would all if from a naval aviator standpoint if I'm dogfighting, I want to be in a, in a sea. If I am um, bombing, I want to be in a Super Hornet um, just nice. because it's it's bigger. I can carry more weapons, the the symbology, all, all the things were were uh, better and the Super Hornet certainly more advanced. Um, but if I'm just trying to maneuver an airplane and fight it, uh, and even for me, landed on the ship, uh, I would rather be in the smaller, quicker version than, than, uh, uh, than the Super Hornet.
0: Absolutely, and we're here to talk about Top Gun. But before we get into that, what squadrons were you with before you uh, went to be a student at the uh, Fighter Weapons School?
1: My first squadron was uh, VFA-146, the Blue Diamonds, uh, out of Lemoore, California. Uh, and so the way it works is you do um, from movie one to movie two, things have changed. But uh, and I was more on the movie two side of things in terms of career progression than movie one. Movie one guys would go off. Mid tour, go to Top Gun for five weeks and come back to that squadron. Uh, the way it works now, movie two and where I was, and I was kind of on the leading edge of that. Um, about a year and a half into the new program, was you do a full tour uh, of three years. For me, uh, three years, two deployments, uh, selected to go to Top Gun, and then and then off to off to Top Gun, and then not not necessarily go back to my original squadron. I'm going to do a student at Top Gun, instructor at Top Gun, and then where the, wherever the uh, chips may fall is where I would go back, and, and I did not end up going back to
0: 146. So let's get into Top Gun. So can you tell us a bit of uh, background from uh, about Top Gun and what was it originally designed for, and is it the same today?
1: Sure, um, great question. And, and it's funny because with the movie and my my history with uh, with the school. Uh, There is still I don't think it's necessarily now, but there was still for a very, very long time, just an assumption that Top Gun was a Hollywood thing and not really an actual organization, a brick and mortar schoolhouse. So the genesis of of Top Gun, uh, World War Two, Korean War, uh, U.S. Navy and Marine Marine Corps aircrew had a roughly 10 to 12 to one kill ratio. So for every good guy we lose, we shoot down 10 to 12 bad guys. We step into the Vietnam conflict technology has moved on uh, and we're fighting uh argue, not arguably definitely less technologically advanced platforms that the north vietnamese were, were flying and and even uh the chinese are supplying or the russians are supplying into into that conflict uh and the kill ratio which had started at 10 to 12 to 1 over the course of time in the 60s started mm-hmm. diminishing and by the time we hit 67 68 uh, in some cases, it had flipped, where it was one to two. An F-4 Phantom, which the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Air Force were flying at that time, most technologically advanced plane in the world, was losing to inferior MiGs. So there's a hiatus in the Air Horn in 1968. Hey, hiatus in the Air war in 1968, sorry. Um, and and uh, at that time, uh, the Chief of Naval Operations they were trying to figure out what was going on. So they tasked a, a gentleman named Frank Alt, who was a captain, to go off and conduct a study and figure out what's going on. So Captain Alt goes off and he does tons of research. He talks to acquisition professionals and aircrew and operators and really kind of the whole uh, kit and caboodle. And he comes back with what is known as famously the Alt Report, not surprisingly. And in the Alt Report, he determines that the reason for aircrew crew performance over the, the preceding four or five years is due to a, a lack of knowledge, general lack of knowledge, lack of mm-hmm. knowledge over the threat aircraft and what it could do, the threat weapons and what could it do, what the Phantom could do, what the Phantom weapons could do. Uh, additionally, he found a host of other issues, the acquisition timelines and, per, and procuring the wrong weapons, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but in that report, he had a list of recommendations and this recommendation number one was to stand up a graduate level schoolhouse to teach advanced kind of a, uh, tactics and, and weapons, etc. And so out of that, uh, the Chief of Naval Operations directed that VF-121, which was the F-4 Phantom Fleet Replacement Squadron in Myanmar, would stand up in adva- advanced tactics cell, if you will. Um, and so the very first individual... Charge was Lieutenant Commander Dan Pedersen, call sign Yank. And the CEO of 121 went to Yank and said, Figure this out, you've got it. Don't care what you do. And this is, <laughs> remind me, this is 1968, 1969. So, you know, there was not the standard procurement and military contracting <laughs> timelines, et cetera. So Yank grabbed eight guys, we call them the original nine. Um, they grabbed a trailer, put it outside the hangar of VF 121, <clears throat> procured a couple of couple of uh, chalkboards, uh, liberated a safe for two, and on March 3rd, 1969, opened the doors of the very first class, which was two uh, famed air crews, so a pilot and a wizzo, um and started teaching Navy fighter weapon school and Navy fighter weapon school tactics. So went into a bar, and you can see I'm wearing the shirt here on a bar napkin, through this patch that still exists to this day awesome. the Miramaro Club, yeah, uh, and away it went. Um and so they taught a number of classes. The air war kicks back off. Uh, and hey, stop. The <laughs> air war kicks back off. Uh and uh the proof is in the pudding. By the, the end of the Vietnam War, the kill ratio had bounced back to about fourteen to one. Wow. Uh based based upon that. So, you know, there there's there's a peacetime dividend that usually ensues after some sort of uh, conflict. Uh, and so there was some thought downsizing and getting rid of it, but they had to They li- li- literally had to look and see, OK, here's the success here. The Air Force saw the success. They established their own weapons school now in Nellis. Uh, and it just grows and grows and grows to the point where uh, now we're at 54 years of uh, of the doors being open. And Top Gun is, in fact, the model, it's the model for naval aviation across all communities. It's the model for naval a- na- the Navy writ large across aviation surface subsurface special warfare intel supply believe it or not Uh, when i was the commanding officer top gun um there was a direction that there was a need to broaden how every war fighting community does business and so we're taking stream raids of navy admirals to come in and say okay what exactly do you do here um this is community we've never done this so let's how do we figure this out so mm-hmm. that
0: has become the model and it continues to this day Brilliant stuff. so let's talk about your uh, time as a student uh, there how did that happen did you apply or did they come to you if you can walk us through that on.
1: i come to the i'm coming to the end of my very first tour so i'm from southern california uh my dad is an airline pilot at the time um it's pre-9-11 and i'm not entirely sure you know, this is, this is the summer, spring, summer of 1997. Um, so I'm, you know, what do I want to do with my life? I don't know. Um, I, you know, what I, I lived in Lemoore, California, and Lemoore is near Fresno. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. Um, and my family is Northern and Southern California. So my original thought process was, I really love flying fighters. Uh, I think it'd be cool to be a blue angel. Um, uh, and so maybe I'll give that a, that a go. I'll go down to um, uh, what I want to do is i am go down and be a, a instructor at the fleet replacement squadron I was at. had gone through, which had been subsequently had moved from El Toro. The Navy had given up Miramar by that point. So the Marine Corps had moved down, taken over Miramar. And so me and my peers said, like, oh, wouldn't it be great to fly F-18s out of San Diego? Maybe rush the Blue Angels, maybe not see what what happens out of that and if nothing happens they will go become an airline pilot because that was just sort of the path that yeah that, that most of my peers were on so i have a squadron we are training in fallon which is where topkin had moved to uh i have a mentor in my squadron a guy named uh, tom downing call sign Trim, who's who's a who's a legend in naval aviation um and so behind um, unbeknownst to me trim is sort of evaluating me and the other guys in the squadron and he assesses that that i have the ability to possibly be a top gun a a student and be an instructor Mm -hmm. so we happen to be in fallon doing some training uh and the manning officer at top at the time a guy named uh jeff winter called son chili who's still a really close friend of mine comes up introduces himself hey have you ever thought about top gun sure what so uh i was then faced with the okay do i go go down to San Diego and and fly f 18s and surf? um, Or do I go to Fallon uh, and and work really hard, don't get me wrong, uh, Mm. as cool as a instructor? um, Or do I go to Fallon, Nevada? So San Diego lived in La Jolla, Solana Beach, Pacific Beach, as a late 20s guy, single guy, or do I go to Fallon, Nevada, which is 60 miles east of Reno, um, and a town of 20,000, a very, very small town, um, and really, really work hard. And I remember vividly having a conversation with my dad. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm very fortunate I had options. And my dad said, <clears throat> you know, you will have other opportunities in your life, to perhaps if you stay in to go be an instructor, an F18 instructor, in one of the fleet replacement squadrons, you're gonna have one shot to be at, go to Top Gun. And it was wow. kind of I was, you know, this epiphany and like, holy smokes, you're right. And so that was sort of the, <clears throat> the deciding line. And I remember made. The detailer calls me on midsummer of 97 and says, okay, I need an answer. And I said, I'm going to Top Gun. And he goes, congratulations. And then I thought, oh my God, what have I got myself into? Uh, and so I went on deployment a couple weeks after that, left in the middle of deployment, uh, went to Fallon and uh, started uh, a 10 week grind uh, as a student. Um, student, being a student at Top Gun is, um, you know, Having gone through it and then having instructed it now twice, it is the most difficult thing you can possibly do in an airplane. Uh, There's a thing that the Navy um, and the Marine Corps put there, and actually the the U.S. services put that. It's called SEER School. Are you familiar with SEER Seer School? Have you heard of it? Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. It's basically a POW school. Where you go off and you try to survive and then you get captured and then you go through, you know, what it's like to be a POW and and then, you know, you learn all these lessons. It's it's a really, really hard school. It's short. Um, it's physically and mentally challenging. But you learn a lot out of it. You learn a lot about yourself and what you can withstand, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm fond of saying that Top Gun as a student is like Sears School with Jets because it is really hard. You learn a lot. It's physically demanding. It's mentally demanding. Um, And the bar is high for a reason. Um, When I showed up as a student, I had never, ever failed a test, a flight, a sim, anything. I had always passed everything I'd ever done. My second flight at Top Gun, I failed three times. Uh, My third flight at Top Gun, I failed twice. And by the fifth failure, I remember vividly calling uh, my my dad um hey how's it going and i was like i don't i don't think i'm gonna make it and he was like Are you? i'm like i yeah these this these guys are kicking my ass um and fortunately you know i kind of scrambled through it and 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 made it made it through the rest of the way but it was it was brutal but the upshot of that is that you know you back to the original you know the, the deciding point and trim it. Trim Downing uh, was one of these one of these advocates like, you you know, there are very, very few professional athletes in the world. And so full circle, I want to be a professional athlete. You know, this trim and my father and others sort of people that I look up to and mentors are like you, you know, yes, you're you're a great fighter pilot. But there's only one way you're really going to know how good you are. And it's to go be with other really, really good fighter pilots. And Mm -hmm. that will, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of thing uh and it was the probably it was the best decision ever made. Uh, brutal but rewarding and just being around all of that talent for all those years um certainly helped bring me to point where i'm talking to you on this uh, this podcast
0: yeah and we gonna get into some of the details here so my my ignorance mm-hmm. if i ask any silly questions here because i'm not clued up too much on top gun uh and um, on the school and stuff like that so when you go in as a student, you come in as an F-18 pilot and that's all you fly, right? Correct. And as do you fly student. their jets? Right. Or do you fly your squadron's jets?
1: Great question. So in, in the beginning, early phases, Top Gun, Miramar, um, when, a, when a squadron would send a pilot to Top Gun and an F-14 or you know an F-18 in the beginning, they would send a jet with that person. Right. That person would fly and then take the jet back. Top Gun had their own airplanes, mostly adversary airplanes um, at that time, um, F-16s, F-5s, A-4s, etc. By the time it moves to uh, Fallon, Nevada in the summer of 1996, that paradigm has shifted um, incredibly so that, you know, it's a 10-week course, in aircrew are through their tour, so the fleet will send, the various wings will get a tasker, so you have an F-18 wing East Coast, F-18 West Coast, top gun class coming up. We need 10 F-18s. That's just a random number. Okay. We need five from this coast, five from this from that coast. Those jets will show up with maintenance and support support crew, and the students will fly any of those 10 jets. It doesn't have to be, they will they typically will not have a jet from their squadron. It every once in a while it happens, but it's not off the Fallon flight line. The Fallon flight line itself is still has plenty of aircraft but most of them are not fleet representative planes if that makes sense so there's super hornets on the flight line but they don't have the latest and greatest systems inside that you need to go through the top gun class sometimes they do there's a couple Uh, but by and large those jets are used for in an adversary role or as sort of a backup okay this jet's gone, you know, this just has maintenance issue, You need to go and jump on that aircraft. They also now do have F 35s on the line because Top Gun has evolved from an F 18. When I went through, it was F 14, F 18. Then for a long time, it was F 18 Legacy and Super Hornet. And now it's Super Hornet and F 35. So there are some F 35s on the Fallon flight line as well.
0: And before we get into a bit more detail here, um, 10, did you actually live on base or did you live off base? Uh, as a student? As a student, yeah.
1: Okay as a student i lived on base i lived in the officer's quarters um <laughs> wake up in the morning limp into top gun get done at night <laughs> went back to the voq uh this back and forth the fact i don't think i left base much and that uh, so the class was then was 10 weeks then uh, based upon things i said earlier just uh, yeah. days were long um uh, after i graduated and then stayed on the staff as a student as an instructor then i lived out in town
0: so when you arrive as a student, what's like day one? Is it like he's your? this is where you are sleeping. Uh, nine o'clock the next morning or whatever? Is it straight away or do you get a bit of time to, you know, get in there? Uh,
1: so <laughs> notoriously, infamously, famously, depending on how you want to look at it, Topkin class. Topkin always starts on a Monday and okay. it doesn't matter if it's a federal holiday or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, started on a Memorial day has started on a labor day started on a 4th of July. Like really? Uh, the class intro, uh, day one is at six 30 in the morning. Um, so you can't arrive the day of you typically get there cause some Monday you get there. If you get there Sunday, you're in a lot of trouble. Typically yeah. you guys will show up Thursday, Friday, Saturday at the latest, mm-hmm. get themselves settled, get themselves ready. Um, class intro day one. It's the, it's the, Uh, Nautic now, uh, Naval Aviation Warfighting Development Center Admiral and the Top Gun Commanding Officer and the training of the whole staff is there. You get, you know, hey, welcome to Top Gun. Everybody, you know, talks to you. Here's your books and away you go. And then it's right off. You leave the auditorium and it's right into a classroom and academics start day one. There's really no time to reset. You go 630 in the morning and then you finish that day probably 5. Um, and then you do that. So you have academics the first week uh, and then you start working up into the flying aspect. The flying aspect is uh, made up of basic fighter maneuvering, generally 1v1, like the original movie mm-hmm. uh, that also sprinkles in some multiplane concepts. And you do that. You don't do that in Fallon. Um, you will go on detachment to uh, a fleet concentration area, typically at sea level. So Fallon's at 4,000 feet. Uh, and the jets fight differently, obviously, the lower they are. <clears throat> and so you typically want to go fight out over the water mm-hmm. um, to get maximum performance capabilities and kind of, you know, fight in the environment in which you're probably going to be fighting in. And so the staff, the students, and a number of airplanes will go to Oceania and Virginia Beach, to Lemoore in California, to Miramar, um, and go out there and fight out over the water, which also gives the Gun staff the ability. To do guest lectures and and evaluate the the fleet, looking for future instructors, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a it's a it's a multi beneficial uh, evolution, and that's about two weeks now, and then come back and then get into the multi. My fr- the, your first flight's a demo, like hey, okay, you're going to go out and fly, and here's some of the concepts you're going to be thinking about, just kind of a warm up, because sometimes uh, air crew will have. Like I did, leave in the middle of deployment, so you try. Like I yeah. left out Persian Gulf, so I had to get current again. You have to get so many flights, and so there's some warm up flights in there. Um, if you're current, then you don't typically have to go through that that wow. process. Um, I, the, and so the beginning phase is one v one, and so you know we do a lot of dog fighting. Uh, and so I felt like I was prepared for it, but I clearly was not prepared for it. Cause I left from deployment and when you go on deployment you're in combat, you're not doing dogfighting. you're, yes. you're doing operations. You're not doing training typically. Uh, and so I hadn't done any of that, that type of training in quite some time. It had been six or seven months prior, prior to me flying a one V one. So I was getting slayed, um, and you know, slate and then the, the, the doubt bug creeps in and, and, and we're spiraling away. Um, and that was the point where I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I felt like I was doing okay, and then the next thing I know, I start I start offensive, and I end up defensive, and I'm like, oh, my God, how did that just happen? Or I would start offensive, and end up offensive, and not as offensive as I should be, and I'm nice. trying to figure out exactly. Um, so getting through that phase, once I got through that phase, Charlie, stop. Once I got through that phase, um, I was I was fine. We got into multiplane and something that I had done a ton of prior to coming to the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while it was really busy and there's a lot going on, I felt much more comfortable in that as a student uh, than I did in the you know because I had I was chipping away so much rust, and that was a lesson learned for you know for me. Subsequently, I leave as staff for three years. I leave and go do a training officer tour in department, head tour and a command tour. And when I would have aircrew that were getting ready to go, get ready to go to the Top Gun staff, I would, I would ensure that we would invest a lot of time in those guys to, and gals to ensure, all right, you, you need to be prepared day one, you know, first impression. You only get one chance to make first impression. Um, Your briefing labs are tight. Your BFM is, you know, not everybody's. is is savant in the airplane but there are certain things that you can teach and and have folks be ready for that i frankly was not ready for when when i when i kicked off the class as a student (laughs) um as a student so remember when i I went through a student it was 1998 um started in uh 98 uh january 98 graduated in in, uh, march 98 graduated in may of 98 uh, ish february to may uh and so it was f18 f14 so the first First phase was the do- the one v one phase, um, and there were six or seven flights, uh, defensive, offensive, high aspect, uh, and then you get into the two against one concept. Um, how to alternate? You know, you got you know un- unsuspecting somebody jumps in, picks up a tally or a radar contact or a radar warning defense. You know, how do you? maneuver you, both aircraft in such a position that you know both stay alive and you take care of that guy expeditiously. Mm-hmm. Um, after that phase ended, it was transitioned back into academics. So there's academics, which is weapons and some dogfighting, do the 1v1 phase, back into academics, which is now in the multiplane, more weapons, more threat-based right. stuff. Uh, and then it became what we refer to as section phase, which in the Navy is two planes. The Air Force calls it two-ship, Navy mm-hmm. calls it section. Um, and so that two ship phase started again kind of the 2v1 concept and then it grew and grew and grew um to where it was two v many um and the threat simulated at that time you know was the the threat of the day in 1998 um su 27 mig 29 etc um <clears throat> what we would consider now kind of gimme putts uh, at that point you know were not gimme putts um and it was the class. My class was mixed. F18, F14. Uh, I was flying uh, Cs. Uh, we did have one student who was flying As. The poor guy, um, who was doing nothing but he, nothing but sparrow tactics. Andy Kessler, Chunder. God, God bless you. Um, who stayed on the Top Gun staff with me, actually, mm-hmm. a great dude. Um, so Chunder ha- had to fly As, and the rest was flying Cs with AIM-120s and, and Whiz Bang, uh, uh, what we thought were Whiz Bang mission computers at that time. Uh, and then the F-14 crew. Um, so section phase was, um, I want to say, eight eight hops, and then a little bit more academics, and then into division phase, which is the four ship uh, for you Air Force people out there, four ship division, um, which was six ish flights um, and a threat, and you know all everything kind of kind of ratcheting up. Uh, at that time, we also had what was a night week which, uh, was really not a good idea idea, <laughs> but we did do a night week, um, uh, which was, you know, we're at week eight of a 10 week course. We're like, Oh, let's flip everybody's circadian rhythm. And we're going to fly at nights now for a week. Nobody's been flying night at all, throwing night vision goggles and like, just try not to hit each other. And Oh, by the <laughs> way, try not to get killed by a, a simulated threat. Um, and then the last week was uh, you had you finished up division phase, then you had a grad strike, which was pretty much every student that we could get out there against every adversary aircraft that Top Gun and the flight line had. Uh, and we typically it was 10 V. As many as they could get uh, mm-hmm. and get and threat would, you know, you kill somebody and you'd regen and come back in and. Um, mm-hmm. And it was oftentimes an unwinnable problem, but it was kind of a cool way to end because everybody's all all together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then uh, we do grad strike and and then the next day was was graduation and everybody would curl into a fetal position for for basically (laughs) a week at that point. Like, thank God it's over uh, to the staff because the staff, it's it's a long time. Now it's 13 weeks. It was a long time. Ten weeks for everybody, students and staff, and you know you just you get beat up. Days are long. First brief of the day is at five forty. Three goes a day. Uh, five forty brief. Um, and if you if the stat when I was an instructor as a lieutenant, we ended up uh, due to <clears throat> uh, change of station, uh, personnel change of station, like we were losing guys who have got certain calls, and so mm-hmm. I my last class I was one of two or three division called instructors mm-hmm. and so bookending a 540 brief to the to the lasco and like walking out the door at like ten thirty at night 11 o'clock at night i mean just these incredibly long days so by the time you got to the end of it you're just like <laughs> oh my god so it's good <laughs> when i went back as the ceo i'm like i'm not doing bookends anymore but forcing the staff like much more, <laughs> more healthy
0: yeah and i forgot to ask so um as the students go in is it like uh the pilots and the wizards is it half tomcat community half hornet community Yeah, so then
1: we had – it was the the only time they ever
0: did it. We had a four Tomcat class, which
1: was the last one they ever did uh, because it wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. They would typically go three, sometimes two. Um, uh, We had a couple of air crew that uh, were staying on the Top Gun staff. So in my class, we had four guys that stayed as instructors. Myself, Andy Kessler, Chunder I mentioned, uh, and then uh, Art De La Cruz, who's the CEO of Rubicon right now. Um, which is a, a disaster relief uh, company out here in the States, which is amazing, did an amazing mm-hmm. work. Um, and then Speedy Spidero, who was the pilot, so they were the Tomcat. Speedy's now a two-star Admiral. Um, so Speedy and Cato stayed in the Tomcat. Chunder and I stayed in F-18. And they were flying the flight lines Tomcats. So they're flying F-14As. Mm. The rest of the Tomcat guys were flying <clears throat> like fleet representative Bs and Ds. Uh, and so poor Speedy and Chunder were struggling through like the movie Top Gun 2, you know, and, uh, what's his face? Miles Teller gets in the back. He's like looking like all these breakers. That's exactly the jet that they were (laughs) they were flying. go through the student's Top Gun. Uh, and so we had a four, we had four Tomcat crew and then, uh, six, uh, six F-18 crew. So they were all five C's and one A. Now, um, the numbers are roughly the same, but they'll do uh, Super Hornet and F 35. Um, and the Super Hornet side, you typically have two to three F crews. So Pilot Wizzo, mm-hmm. two to three E crews, uh,
0: and then now with F 35, just single seat F 35. So, what was the, the hardest jet to go up against uh, as a student uh, when you were going through Top Gun?
1: Well, so all the threats were simulated. Um, the adversary simulated, so you know it could be an F-16 simulating a MiG-29 or a Su-27, um, or you know, an F-14 or an F-18. So it was all about threat-based and, and mm-hmm. what what the current um, intel community assessed to be the the high end. And and like I said, it ratcheted up. You start off with some rear quarter only IR shooter. Uh, and then end up you know at that time su twenty seven um was sort of the the big the big boy in the block, and then they were just starting to develop their own version of the amram the a twelve Adder, which was a which is a um, just like the a one twenty um not quite as capable, but uh so you know the tactics were the tactics were basically all based upon the threat weapon and not the threat platform. the threat platform carried the threat weapon. And then you really just went okay what is the worst case scenario for that plane to carry and that's what we're going to train to um and so looking back on at the time it was very cosmic and very difficult nothing like these guys are dealing with now mm-hmm. and, you know it's now i mean the the chinese threat and the weapons are just insane i mean the fights you uh, all of our fights at that point air to air you know you would you would merge um real world you know you'd merge with fallen debris or parachutes um that was the objective uh now if there's ever merge, it's you've, you've done something wrong or you've got to go that direction like i've got to get to the ship it's over there that's where the chicken the rice and my stereo is so i'm going that way so i'm going to merge with whatever's out in front of me but these fights are so far apart now because of technology that um it's it, I, I look at what the staff and the students go through now, and it's it's kind of hard to wrap my old brain
0: around to see what these guys are doing.
1: Just like the Vietnam era, when these guys would come up and, and see what we were doing, they were like, holy smokes, this is way harder than we were doing.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's get into a social level. What was it like being a Top Gun student there? And did you mix with, you know, the instructors? Did you go to the old club and all that kind of thing? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, some guys were friends with some of the instructors beforehand. Right. Um, as a student, you know you're really head down kind right. of thing, and, and and you know the class the class construct is such that, it, especially my class, we were all so tight. And in the beginning, I was struggling, and everybody's kind of trying to rally around, like help me out. And and hey, you know, I flew with this guy, and this is what he liked or didn't didn't like. Think about that. Uh, and then as I as we moved through the the section and division phases, I was doing well, and so you know we all just kind of try to pick each other up. Uh, And some of my fondest memories as a student at Top Gun were the weekends, like the whole class. We would go from Fallon to Lake Tahoe, which is about an hour and a half, two hours away. And it was just you needed that downtime. You needed to feel, okay. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about my next flight. I don't want to think about the next, you know, the brief or whatever. I'm just going to go blow off some steam. And we as a class, I mean, we would roll heavy with everybody. And it was awesome. And then, you know hey, i got the Monday morning at 5.40 brief, guy would get up early Sunday morning, go back to Fallon and and prep. Uh, And then we would, you know, guys would go back and and help him out. Uh, The week to week, there was still, you know, interaction at the O club. um, But the days were so long as a student that, you know, you're going to the O club largely probably be just to get some food, you know, not to go and drink a bunch of beers and get all all banged up and then get ready for the next day. It was like, all right, I'm hungry. I've eaten enough Subway. Uh, I don't want to go out in town and eat McDonald's. Let's go to the O club. The O club has decent food and, you know, have maybe a beer. Typically not. It was more like eat, go to the gym, you know, try to try to find whatever that stress release thing is. And then, um, uh, you know, get ready for the next day Uh, as a instructor. There, there was still, you know, it's not like a cast system where like those are the students and those are the instructors and never the two shall me because the instructors are very, very invested in the students success as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting, you know, when you're a student, you don't necessarily think that or see it. But as an instructor watching how passionate guys were to try to teach and make these guys better, because it's like, it's like having a toy, you know, you, you, you or a model. You put the model together and you're putting all the pieces together and you want to make sure that it looks good at the end and it's functional. And so you're you are rooting, really rooting for guys and gals to succeed good to, to the to the class. Um, and every once in a while, you know, there may be a personality conflict in there that ah screw that guy. <laughs> but by and large, um, everybody's pulling for everybody to, to get through it.
0: Yeah, on, on graduation night, I mean, what was that like for you? And did all the students going through pass or do people fail? How does that work there, Proton? My
1: my class, everybody got through. Right. Um, typically, and I and I, I attribute that, I literally attribute that to the fact that we were just this moving amoeba and everybody was picking each other up. Uh, and in fact, when I stayed on as a lieutenant and an instructor, I would tell every class, like, hey, you know, it it top gun it is it's a little like golf it's an individual sport uh you know the, the the two yeah the tomcats and now the super hornet the f's there's a pilot and a Wizzo involved or a pilot and a rio in the tomcat days and so they there's a little bit of a team there but yeah it, while it's like golf it's also you know you the way you succeed is everybody does this together and you help mm-hmm. each other out and pick each other up and the classes that were successful and typically had no trites were the classes that embraced that that philosophy like all right we're gonna help each other out and the classes that had a were like hey man nice to meet you good luck i'll see you on the back side 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 of thing mm-hmm. um graduation i mean honestly it's kind of a blur um because as I said, by the time you get to the end of it, you're so just wiped out. And after my beginning, uh, I I was probably 10 weeks. I mean, I was probably to week seven before I started like coming back into that confidence level where like, okay, I'm going to make it Mm -hmm, mm because the first three weeks were out. And I was like constantly looking over my my shoulder. I can't, I can't fail another flight if I fail one. I'm out. And you know, as a, i didn't know at the time but you sort of sort of evolved. like when you start flying with like the training officer and the standardization officer you know that you're sort of now right on the ragged edge and i had mm-hmm. um a couple of flights one flight with the training officer and i had one flight with the stano and i was like, and at the time i was like oh this is just my instructor and then i got the stano and then i got the training o and then somebody uh said to me hey you, are you tracking what that means? I'm like, no, I know I'm, I know I'm getting my ass kicked. I know I'm not doing well. What else, What more pressure can I possibly put on myself here? Yeah. Uh, but when that happens later on, you know, that, that you start start realizing. But by week seven, I, I knew I was good um, because I'd started succeeding in this two, in this section in the division phase. Um, but at the very end, um, graduation itself, for me, I just, you know, my... Um my grandparents came into town. Like the people bring their families in and they live yeah. in San Francisco, so they drove over the hill. Um and I just remember thinking, Thank God it's over. <laughs> Thank God it's over. I just wanna go and yeah. and we all had that same I mean, all everybody. There wasn't like one student who was like, Oh god, I wish there was another week. It was like, Thank God yeah. It's over. Yeah, so Yeah, and then it was I'll see you Monday. Graduation on a Friday and you know, roll back into the staff on a, a Monday and I remember the training officer at the time's like, Okay, dude, you can come in Tuesday I'm like <laughs> Thank Thank you. It's about to go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah.